I want to go a little bit deeper than the surface, and I want to speak about some of the most difficult experiences that each and every one of us have encountered as we go about relationships in life. Maybe that's with a spouse, maybe that's with a significant other, maybe that's with a parent, a family member, a friend or a peer. Each and every one of us, we've encountered something hard in the context of a relationship. And I believe that as we go through this collection, as we go through this series, over the next few weeks, we're gonna be embarking on a journey of healing and freedom. We're gonna be embarking on a, on a journey of freedom and hope and healing for our lives in the context and the area of relationships. I just wanna challenge you now, don't miss a week. Uh, we're gonna hear from some powerful speakers, powerful communicators uh, from Grace Family Church. But today, I really feel like uh, God kind of ripped up what I had prepared and he put a fresh word on my heart. And I want to speak out of 1 Samuel chapter 16. If you have a Bible, I'd love for you to open it up. Uh, we're going to spend our time there in 1 Samuel chapter 16. I love this text so very much and I think it's going to really speak to your heart today. You see in 1 Samuel chapter 16, let me give you some context. We hear about a man by the name of Samuel. Samuel, he was a prophet. And in this moment, he is mourning because the previous king of Israel, one of the men that he mentored, a man by the name of Saul, has fallen from God's grace. You see, Saul, he, he was full of himself. He was prideful. But Saul, he was the king of Israel in this moment. And God gets so hardened towards Saul that he says, I am rejecting Saul as king. And he puts it on Samuel. He says, Samuel, I want you to go to Bethlehem. And it's in Bethlehem, this land, you will find the next king that will lead my people. And he doesn't just say, I want you to go to Bethlehem. He says, I want you to go to the house of a man by the name of Jesse. And it's gonna be one of Jesse's eight sons that you are going to anoint as king of Israel. It says this in 1 Samuel 16, verse one. It said, the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem, and I've chosen one of his sons to be king. Skipping down to verse 6, it says, When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely this one is the Lord's anointed who stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance. But the Lord, he looks at the heart. Then Jesse, he called on Abinadab and had him uh, brought out in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Verse 9, Jesse then had Shema passed by, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Verse 10, Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen any of these. Don't want you to miss this, verse 11. So he asked Jesse, are all of these your sons? But then he said, there is still the youngest Jesse had said. He said, but he's tending sheep. And Samuel said, send for him, for we will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in and he was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him, for this is the one. Today, I want to speak to you in week one of this collection from the topic and the idea, the good, good father. The good, good father. I know Gabby jumped up on stage not too long ago and shared 
that some of our team this past week, we were in the Dominican Republic, and uh, I was so proud of our team. You'd be so proud of this team. Uh, We've seen God move in such a special way, but as I was in the Dominican Republic, in the back of my mind, I just kept having this idea. I hope that my daughter is missing me, okay? Kind of selfish, I know, just being honest, but I got an 18-month-old daughter. Her name's Harlan Ryder, and uh, this girl is absolutely amazing, and man, she means so much to her mother and I, but in the back of my mind as we're serving God's people, I was, I was really serving, I was really present, but in the back of my mind, I'm going, y'all, I just hope that she realizes like her dad is gone, okay? And as we're serving, we're busy doing the great things of God. Uh, my wife's texting me and sending me pictures, but deep down in my heart, there was another feeling of, I just don't want to be here. Like, I want to be at home with my child. You see, last time I left, it was a couple weeks ago, I was in Nashville, Tennessee, and I told my wife right before I got on the plane, watch, this is going to be the week that my daughter starts walking or something. Sure enough, day one of my trip, Harlan decides I'm going to hit that crip walk real quick for y'all, you know what I'm saying? And I'm just like, of course this would happen to me. So fast forward to this trip, and I'm like, yo, I'm going to miss some major milestones. And my wife's sending me all these photos and videos of my daughter. And then as we got to the back end of the trip, fast forward to uh, Friday, Mario's like, babe, you, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't imagine, like, Harlan's doing all these different things. I'm like, okay, of course she's doing different things when her father's not there. Fast forward to this past Sunday, I get home, and uh, Trey Johnson and his girlfriend, they drop me off, and um, my wife, she opens up the front door, and my daughter, she just, she has like this awkward waddle, hobble thing, and she comes to the front door, she runs up to me, and she holds on to my leg, and the cutest thing is, my daughter, she says the word up, but she says up, up, and then she like lifts her head, so she's telling me like, dad, pick me up, so then she starts saying, dad, dad, up, so I pick her up. And then not only five seconds goes by, she wants to go down. How I many of you know kids are just like that sometimes? So I put her on the ground, and then she starts waddling over to her playpen. And as she makes her way to her playpen, she starts pulling all of these new toys that I've never seen, okay? Because what happens when dad leaves? Mom goes shopping with our daughter, okay? So she starts pulling out all these different toys, and I'm like, what? Where is this coming from? And then she pulls out this little baby doll. And my, my 18-month-old daughter, she starts burping this baby. I'm like, who are you, you know? Not only that, she goes back to her playpen, she gets this baby bottle and starts feeding this baby doll. What? I swear, I got like the next Steve Jobs on my hands or something, okay? Like this girl is just brilliant. And she looks at me and she smiles. She's smiling, she's like, and she wants me to say something like, Harlan, I see you, but I'm amazed by what you're doing. And on top of that, she then, she sits on the ground, I'm not gonna do it because I probably ripped my jeans. She starts like scooting in this weird circle I'm like, what are you, like, where's all this coming from? And she looks at me and she's waiting for a response. See, my daughter, she had a desire to make known to me all the things that she had learned. And for me as a father, I had a desire in the back of my mind to be needed by my wife and my daughter. I share that story because each and every one of us, at the core of our hearts, we have a desire to be needed and known. We've got a desire to be needed and known by other people. Why? Because that feeling of being needed and being known, it brings a sense of security and significance. And what I know to be true is so many of us in this room today, we've been searching for this feeling of security. We've been searching for this feeling of significance. But the problem is we've been searching in all the wrong places. I'm trying to help you understand today, friends, you could search the world for this feeling of security and significance. You could search the world for this feeling of fulfillment. But friends, I need you to understand, as we go into week one of this collection, this is the foundation of this 
collection. If you keep on searching in the world, you will continue to feel like you're living your life on E. And you will continue to feel like you're missing out on what God has for you in this life. I want you to get this in your heart because I believe so many of us today, we're holding on to this empty feeling in our hearts. Maybe it's because of a past relationship. Maybe it's because of some daddy issues, some wounds that we have from a father. Maybe it's because certain people didn't show up and we've got unmet expectations in our life. And I just want you to know, we need to address the hurt from the past in order for us to embrace what God has for our future. We gotta address the things that took place in the past so we can embrace what God has for us in the future. You see, deep down in our hearts, there's a desire for us to be needed and to be known. And I want you to hear my heart on this because I know as we go throughout this series, we're gonna be speaking truth and some of the truth's gonna be challenging truth. And I'm not trying to preach you happy, I'm not trying to speak to your emotions, but I just believe wholeheartedly there are people in this room that have various stories, various backgrounds, various upbringings, but many of us in the room, we need to address the insecurities, the daddy issues, and the wounds that we've been carrying. And I just kinda wanna bring some clarity because I know oftentimes culture uses that word daddy issues. How many of you know daddy issues isn't exclusive to women? I sit down with so many men from this house, from this ministry, that are wounded at the heart and at the core, it's because of the absence of a father. It's because of the rejection of a father. It's because they had a, a father that didn't show up or model what it mean to, meant to be a man of God in their life. And I just believe God wants to bring some healing and freedom to this area of our lives. Maybe for you, you had a parent that was not only absent, but they made you feel like you were more of a burden than a blessing. Maybe for you, you were in a relationship with someone and they kept on belittling you. They kept putting you down. They kept telling you things that left you with this feeling of contempt. Maybe for you, you simply didn't have a parent that told you, son, I'm proud of you. Or daughter, I'm proud of you. Maybe it wasn't a parent, it was a, a person of influence or authority in your life, a, a person that didn't really pick you up or speak to your potential. Instead, they continuously put you down. What I want you to know to be true, what I know to be true, is that there is a God in heaven who is more faithful than a friend, who's far more faithful than your father, who is far more faithful than anyone you could ever imagine. And it's that God in heaven that wants intimacy with you. It's that God in heaven that wants to heal your wounds. And this is important that we get this in our heart today because so many of us today, we're carrying these open wounds. I want you to know there's a difference between wounds and scars. See, open wounds, it's a sign that there needs to be healing, but scars is a sign that there was healing. I believe that so many of us today, we're living with open wounds and we're bleeding on people that never even cut us and God wants to move you from a place of being wounded to a place where you can testify that now you've got scars. He wants to heal your heart. I was thinking about this the other day while we were in the DR. Uh, on the last day of our trip, we had like a free day and we went to a, a river and it was absolutely amazing, absolutely beautiful. They're gonna put a picture on the screen. As we were at this river, um, there were some cliffs and there was multiple spots where we could kind of jump off the cliffs into the water. You see some of the team there. But what's so interesting about this is um, I made the, the mistake of telling our team that your boy is like not the best swimmer. You could probably put that together, okay? If you know, you know. You'll get that tomorrow. 
So, Mark, your pastor, he blurts out to the team, you know, I'm not like the best swimmer. So I go to jump off this cliff the first time and I'm like swimming towards the group. The crazy thing about this is we don't even know how deep this, this river or body of water is. We're just jumping in. Great idea, right? We're wearing life vests, of course, but I jump in and I'm like, yo, this is incredible. And I'm swimming towards the group that already jumped in the water. But as I'm swimming towards the group, they try to kill me, okay? <laughs> Gabby, I'm still on you. They get on my back and start pushing me under the surface of the water. And here I am, fighting for my life. I get my head above the surface of the water, I'm like, you know? Again, Anna Waller just jumps on me. I'm like, Aah! I'm losing it, trying to get my breath. I'm fighting, screeching, swimming, flopping around in the water. My wife's like, babe, you're so dramatic. I was wounded. You weren't there. <laughs> fighting for my life, man. I'm fighting for my life. But as I'm under the water, coming back above the water, I'm trying to catch my, my breath. And what I realized is this is such a picture of how so many of you have been treated in your life. You have people that time after time, they've pushed you down. And you, friend, you're trying to catch your breath, but you don't even have time to catch your breath. Somebody else pushes you down, and they tell you you're unworthy. You got somebody else that pushes you down. They tell you you're stupid. You got somebody else that pushes you down and tells you you're dumb. And all along, you're just trying to catch your breath. All along, you're just trying to get to a place of rest. But you feel like you can't. And I'm here to tell you today, God through this collection and even in this talk tonight, God wants to bring you to a place where you can catch your breath. He wants to help you catch your breath. But I'm telling you, we gotta do the hard work of coming to a place where we acknowledge that we're out of breath. See what's so interesting, I'm being pushed down, so what do I do? I start pushing other people down. What a picture of how so many of us who are hurt by people treat other people. You hurt me, you put me down, therefore I get back and I put you down. What a picture of how so many of us are living this life. You wrong me, I wrong you. You hurt me, I hurt you. See, so many of us are in the house of God and we're worshiping and we're singing, but friends, we aren't living in freedom because behind closed doors, we're actually putting people down. There's still a sense of resentment. There's still a sense of anger. There's still a sense of bitterness and hurt towards other people. And I just think about this text. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, when we look at this story, we see David's father, Jesse. He presents all seven of his kids to Samuel. He presents all seven of his kids, don't miss this, but the Bible says Jesse was a man who had eight children. And in this moment, as he presents all seven of his children to Samuel, he, he thought that one of the seven were fit to be king. And Samuel looks at him, he goes, yo, like, don't you have another son? And Jesse goes, yeah, you're right, um, but, but he's out there tending sheep. And when Jesse says this, when David's father says this, what he's inferring is he's just a lowly servant. As we continue to read about the life of David, especially in his youth, what we learn is he was like the runt child of the group. 
Out of all his brothers, he was the youngest. He was the roughest around the edges. But in this moment, we see David. He is standing now before Samuel. And Samuel goes, no, he's the one that's to be anointed king. Just kind of want you to just think about this. Could you imagine being David in that moment? Could you imagine feeling how David felt? My own father forgot about me. My own father, he doesn't believe that I have what it takes to be king. My own father has overlooked me. Not only my father, my brothers have forgotten about me. My brothers didn't even have the audacity to tell dad, hey dad, uh, David's not here. I'm not only overlooked by my dad, I'm overlooked by my brother. No one believes in me. Better yet, I just want you to think about it like this. Could you imagine, step into that moment, how that would make you feel? How would, that, how would that make you feel in that moment? Some of you, you actually know that feeling. That feeling of rejection. That feeling of not being enough. That feeling of feeling forgotten. That, that feeling of being told you don't have what it takes. That feeling of not being approved or accepted. And I want to be clear. I'm not, I'm not trying to preach you happy. I'm not trying to speak to your emotions in this collection, but... I really want to speak truth that I believe is going to heal your heart. But we got to address the hurt. We've got to address the pain. And as we read this text, I just can't help but think, how would I feel if I were to be David in that moment? See, there would be a number of things that I would feel in that moment. The first thing is I would probably have some trust issues. It would probably be hard for me in that moment if I were to be David to trust other people. I believe David, he struggled to trust other people because of what he experienced in that moment. And some of you in the room today, you understand exactly what that feels like. You've got trust issues. You have a problem giving your heart to other people. You have a problem being compassionate. You have a problem loving other people because of what has taken place in your past. It makes it hard for you to love other people. And I don't want to go too far into the weeds of this, but when you look at the life of David, what we learn is he gets to this moment in 1 Kings chapter 2 where he's lying on his deathbed. And while he's lying on his deathbed, he strikes up a conversation with his son, Solomon. And he tells Solomon, yo, I don't want you to forget about all the people that have wronged me. What we learn is David, all along, he's living with resentment and anger in his heart, even as he's doing the things of God. I don't want to get too lost in the weeds of this. I'm going to preach a, a, title, a talk in week two out of uh, this text in 1 Kings chapter 2. But could it be that the resentment and anger and the hurt, the bitterness, the betrayal, all of these negative emotions that he's feeling in this moment, the onset of it happened right here in 1 Samuel 16, where, the, where his father rejects him, where his father forgets about him. The second thing I would think about or feel if I was in David's position, this would probably affect my, my view of self. My, my self-worth, my, my identity. I would probably have a wounded identity, a wounded self-worth, and I would feel less than for myself. And I want to kind of speak for myself in this moment. I don't want to speak for you, but if I were in this predicament, this would birth insecurity and identity issues in my life. And I sit down with so many of you that are in this ministry that come here on Tuesday nights, and a lot of your issues stem from insecurity. It stems from a misunderstanding of who God says you are and your self-worth. 
And when we look at this text, what we realize is David's father literally, he didn't communicate this, but in a nonverbal way, he was telling David, you don't have what it takes. You don't have what it takes, David, to fulfill the responsibilities of king. And I just could think, if I were David, you mean to tell me my own father doesn't believe in me? My own father, he doesn't believe I have what it takes. My brothers, they don't believe that I have what it takes. And I don't want you to miss this because if Jesse just had one of his sons anointed as king, Jesse and his whole family would receive a blessing. So if you were Jesse, wouldn't you present all of your children right off the bat to the man that's going to anoint the next king? Friends, that's like going to a basketball game and you're in the fourth quarter, final seconds of the game, you're down by two, you get to the free throw line and you only shoot one basket and you walk away and don't take the second one. That's like walking away saying, you know what, forget that, it's all right. In this moment, Jesse didn't believe in his son so much so that he said, nah, leave him out the picture. And I just want to help you see this. Of course, David's dad didn't believe in him. But I just wonder, who are the people in your life that you know don't believe in you? Who are the people in your life that have left you in a place where you're so wounded and you're so burdened and you're so broken because you know they never believed in you? And I don't want to limit this to a father or a mother or a paternal figure. Who are the people? Who are the peers? Who are the friends? Who's the teacher? Who's the coach? You fill in the blank. Who is that person? Maybe it was a pastor. Can we just be honest? Like, maybe it was a pastor. That person belittled you. They, they put you down. They abused their authority in your life, and they told you, hey, I'm coming to you in love, and this is a form of correction. But really, it wasn't a form of correction. It was a form of condemnation. They belittled you. They put you down, and they told you you don't have what it takes. And maybe, just maybe, over a period of time, you, you began to believe those lies that those people told you. You don't have what it takes. That you aren't good enough. That you aren't fit to do the thing that God has called you to do. You aren't the one that's going to make a change in the world. God can't use you. God has no plans for you. God has no purpose for you in this life. And as young adults, I believe that we start living by these lies. And when we start living by these lies, what we don't even realize we start doing is we start turning to all these different vices it could be people, it could be places, it could be things, all in hopes of finding some freedom. All in hopes of finding some security. Not only do we turn to people, places, and things, I think so many of you in the room today, because of the wounds, because of the daddy issues, because you lack self-worth, you start giving discounts to men and women who don't even deserve what you have to offer. You start sleeping around. You start going places you know you shouldn't be going. You start doing things you know you shouldn't be doing. You start living for the weekend, all in hopes of numbing the pain. You start living for likes on Instagram when you know you're in search of love. But all along, you're trying to numb the pain in your heart. And in exchange, I just want to say this to you, how God said it to me. It's time for some of us to break up with that lie. It's time for some of us to, to break up with that lie, to break up that, with that label, that, that person that told you you're a mistake, that you don't have what it takes, that you're unworthy, that you're unlovable. It's time for you to break up with that lie. And friends, hear me, there is a father in heaven who has told you time after time through his word that you are his masterpiece. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You have everything you need to do what God has told you to do. You are his child. You're his child. And he tells you that. He tells you that time after time all throughout his word. And I think 
One of the unique things the enemy does is he infiltrates these lies into our heart because he knows he can use these lies to keep us from doing what God has called us to do. I just, just think about this text. If David had stopped at the moment where he goes, wait, my father forgot about me? David probably would have just said, you know what? I guess I don't have what it takes and I'm not gonna take a step forward. And if David didn't take that step forward, friends, David would not be able to do the great things that he did for God. I'm trying to help you understand today that there are some things that God wants to do in and through your life, but because you have believed the lies of the enemy, friends, you're not able to step into your calling, your purpose, and do the things that God has called you to do. Don't stop at the lie. I need you to replace the lie with truth. I need you to step out in confidence and go, I am not who they say I am. I am who God says I am. I'm not going to believe the lie anymore. I'm going to walk forward in confidence. Even when I can't see it, I believe it. God has called me to do such a thing such as this. I believe in my heart today that I have everything I need to do what God has called me to do. I'm not believing the lie. I'm not believing the lie. I'm breaking up with the lie. I'm not going to let the lie control who I see in the mirror. I look in the mirror, I see a son of God and a daughter of the Most High King. I'm breaking up with the lie. I'm breaking up with the lie. I'm passionate about this because some of you, you've believed this lie and it's keeping you from doing the thing that God has called you to do. Friends, it's time to break up with the lie and believe God's word and his truth. I think about just the power of words. Like I mentioned, my 18-month-old daughter, I get to drive her to school Monday through Thursday. And it's such a special time for me because as her father, I get a moment to speak life and faith and truth over my daughter. It's a moment for me as a father to take 10 to 15 minutes to remind my daughter who her father says she is. It's a moment for me to remind my daughter who God says she is. Why do I do this? Because I know if the father doesn't do it, the world will do it. And I believe so many of us, we haven't inclined our ears to the voice of the Father. Instead, we're being infiltrated by the words of the world. We need to get to a place where we are filling our minds, where we are filling our ears, where we are filling our hearts with the truth from God's word. And today, I need us to get to a point where we're filling ourselves not only with our truth, but we're living out God's truth. See, the Bible says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, see how very much the Father loves us. For he calls us his children, and that is what we are. But the people who belong to this world don't recognize that we are God's children because they don't know him. Some of you got people that live under your roof. They don't know Jesus. Friends, I don't want you to bow down to the label that they've placed on your life. You're not who they say you are. You are who God says you are. I'm not bowing down to their narrative. I'm taking the Lord at his word. The third thing that we take away from this text is most likely if I were to be David, I would have a skewed view of my father. This would affect my view of my father. When I say father, I don't want you to just think about Jesse or your dad. I want you to think about God. I want you to think about how this would affect your view of God. Certainly, this affected David's view of his father, Jesse, but more importantly, this also probably affected his view of God. My, my own father, Jesse, he, he doesn't believe in me. He doesn't think I have what it takes. Therefore, there must be a God in heaven that doesn't believe in me also. See, sometimes we don't realize because our skewed view of our earthly father has a direct correlation to our view of our heavenly father. Let me say that again. Our skewed view of our earthly father has a direct correlation to how we see our heavenly father. 
So many of us were, were believing the lies of a, what a father spoke over us. And I once heard it said this way, earthly fathers who forsake earthly children create earthly children who forsake their heavenly father. How, how true is, like, earthly fathers who forsake earthly children create earthly children who have the ability to now forsake their heavenly father. See, there's a direct correlation to how we see our earthly father and how we also view our heavenly father. And so many of you come to this house and you hear the worship and you hear these messages and you go, there's no way there's a God in heaven that could love me. My dad walked out on me. There's, there's no way that this God, knowing of everything that I've done, could choose to stand beside me. There's, there's no way, Pastor Mark, there's a God in heaven that knows all of my sins, everything that I did past, present, and future, but loves me in spite of what I've done. Friends, good news is this. Jesus' love for you is not contingent on what you did. It's contingent on what he's already done. It's not contingent on, on what you do, but rather it's contingent on what he's already done. You see, some of us, we grew up with a father like Jesse. We grew up with a father who was like David's, um, and I call it the, the tough parent, the tough father. And this is a parent who led you to feel like you need to earn their love. This is a parent who led you to feel like uh, nothing you did in life was ever good enough. This is the type of parent that there was limited communication and connection. Even in, uh, there wasn't even an emotional connection between you and this parent. Everything in all the dialogue you had was either a correction or a command. And at the end of the day, what is this birth in our hearts? This births a performance attitude. I need to perform to earn my parents' respect. I need to perform to earn my father's love. And so many of us, we get to this place where we, we feel like we need to perform to get in the presence of God. So many of us feel like we got to have it all figured out. We need to perform to, to be loved by God. Friends, I want you to know today, God isn't concerned about your performance. He's concerned more about having your presence. He wants your presence. He doesn't want your performance. The grace of God doesn't meet you because of anything you do. It's because of what he has already done. Maybe for you, you had a parent who was absent. Maybe they walked out on you. Maybe you had like a, a tragic upbringing. Maybe you lost a parent. And that idea of losing a parent it's created a void and a gap in your heart. It's created a void and a gap in your heart that's led you to realize, yes, there's something missing, but I'm gonna try everything that the world has to offer to fill the gap. It's the reason why you're sleeping around. It's become the reason why you're giving yourself to other people. It's the reason why you're trying to find significance in a paycheck. It's the reason why you're trying to find significance in a car or a home. It's the reason why you're living for likes when you're really in search of love. And at the end of the day, how many of you know, when you're in search and pursuing all these different things, it all points back to one road called the road of emptiness. Called the road of emptiness where I go, man, I just feel empty and something feels missing. Can I tell you today, the emptiness can be filled and changed today with the love of Jesus Christ. He, he wants to fill the gap. He wants to fill the void. Can I tell you, God wants to be the fulfillment to everything you feel you are missing. He wants to fill the gap. When I think about this text, 
I gotta, gotta also respect some people because some people have a different story than me. Maybe for you, you had like the perfect parent in your life. It, it was the parent that showed up for you emotionally. It was the parent that showed you what it looked like to be a man of God or a woman of God. Maybe for you, you had the per perfect parent that led you so well. I just want you to get this. It doesn't matter what type of parent you had. It doesn't matter what type of parent you didn't have. What I want you to know is they all fall short of God. They all fall short of God because God is the fulfillment of everything we could ever desire in a parent, in a peer, in a significant other, and a spouse. I love my wife so much. My wife is absolutely incredible, the greatest gift of God to me. But I can't put my wife on an idol, or I can't make my wife an idol. I can't put her on the same pedestal that I, I placed God in my life. Because time after time, my wife will let me down. And some of you, you've placed such high hopes in people. you place such high hopes in things, and each and every time you feel let down. Why? Because you've put them on the pedestal of your heart. And friends, can I tell you, there is no one that could be on the pedestal of your heart other than Jesus. There's no one. There should be no one. See, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 6.18, I love this text so much. The Apostle Paul he says this, and I will be, he's reciting the words of God. He says, I will be your father and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord God Almighty. I just love that. That's God's promise, that he'll be our father and we'll be his sons and we will be his daughters. You know what's so interesting about this is, um, 2 Corinthians 6, 18, it's actually a reference to what God spoke to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Maybe David needed this reminder. Maybe David, because of what he encountered, because of what he experienced, needed a reminder that he had a good, good father. I'm here to tell you today, friend, you got a good, good father, and his name is Jesus. I don't know what you've walked through. I don't know your story. I don't know your upbringing. I don't know the gaps in your heart. I don't know the void in your heart. But I just want to remind you, I know somebody. His name is Jesus, and he's better than your father. He's better than your parent. He's better than a peer. He's better than anyone you could think of in this world, and he wants in on your life. He wants in on your life. So the question is, are you going to move all of the things that's blocking your view of this good, good father? going to move all the things out of your life that's keeping you from experiencing this good, gracious Father. The application is so simple today. If we're going to get to a place of healing, if we're going to get to a place of freedom, we need to break up with our skewed view of God. We need to break up with our skewed view of God, the view of God that's warped our identity, the view of God that's kept us from having intimacy with God, that's kept us from really trusting Jesus, that's kept us from even trusting other people. We need to break up with those things. And I believe today is the day that some of you break up with those things. I believe today is the day that some of us break up with the idea that we need to clean ourselves up to get right with God. I believe some of us need to break up with the idea that because we've messed up in our past, we can't step in a relationship with Jesus. Even myself, I need to break up with the idea that I'm not good enough to be loved by God. I myself, I need to get to a place where I break up with the idea that, that I need to perform more. I need to get a crowd going on a Tuesday night. And I need to be the guy to accomplish all these great things 
for God, to be loved by God. I need to break up with these things. I love this moment in Matthew chapter 3. God put this on my heart as I was driving here. See, there's a moment, many of you know this story, it's the moment where Jesus is baptized in the Jordan. And as Jesus is being baptized in the Jordan, the Bible says is Jesus is being baptized by John, his cousin. As he goes down into the water, the Bible says that the heavens opened up over him and the voice of the Lord came down. And the voice of the Lord ascends on Jesus. And he says, this is my son whom I love and I am well pleased. It's the affirmation of a father. I don't want you to get lost in what was said. I want you to focus on when it was said. See, when we study this text, this happens before Jesus had healed anyone. This happened before Jesus had preached any message. This happened before Jesus performed any signs, miracles, or wonders. Jesus didn't have to perform for the affirmation of a father, neither do you. Neither do you. You don't have to have it all figured out. He wants to love you just the way you are. He says, come as you are. Come as you are. And he loves you way too much to leave you that way. I remember as I close, I remember being a kid. And uh, when I was a kid, I played basketball. I remember one time I broke my arm playing basketball. It was so painful, one of the most painful experiences in my life. But I remember being rushed to the um, emergency room. And as I was in the emergency room, the first thing they had to do was reset my arm. They had to reset my arm. And if you've ever broken a bone, you know that is extremely painful. But it's a part of the healing process. And not only that, after I had to go to physical therapy for months and it was painful, but it actually led to my healing. It led to my arm getting stronger. And I'm trying to help some of you understand today is the day that you allow God to reset your mind and understand that you are who God says you are. Some of you today need to understand God wants to take you on a healing journey. Yes, it may be painful, but friend, I'm telling you, it's pointing you towards your freedom. It's pointing you towards everything you've been in search of. It's a journey. It's a journey. For some of you, the practical application is as simple as this. You need to take a step towards community. We talk about community quite often here at The Exchange, but community for some of you is going to be a place where you find freedom, where you get in a small group and you find everything you've been in search of. Some of you today, you need to take a step towards counseling. I wholeheartedly believe in counseling. My wife and I were huge advocates of counseling. And I know so many men you should take that step of counseling, but you see counseling as a form of weakness when actually it's a step towards strength. Maybe for you the practical application is, you know what, I'm going to actually talk to somebody about the wounds. But I believe for each and every one of us in this room tonight, the step that we need to take is breaking up with the lies that we've believed. That we're not enough, that God can't love us, that God doesn't care about us, that God doesn't delight in what he sees in us. Today is the day that we break up with the lies. I want to create a space right now to just allow you to have a moment with God. Every head bowed, every eye closed. The team's going to be up here. They're going to sing this song. And I just want you to sit in this truth that he is a good, good father. And you are who he says you are. And you have everything you need to do what God has called you to do. You need the reminder today, you are not your mistakes, you are not your past, you are not a failure. Yes, you may have sinned, yes, you may have stumbled, but friend, the righteous one, he gets back up again. 
Why don't you just sit in this moment and just take this in that God, he loves you just the way you are. Lord, we thank you today for that simple truth that you are a good, good father. We thank you, Lord, that you are a come as you are God. You tell us that we can come to you just as we are broken, hurting, downcast, weary, fearful, doubting. You tell us to come as we are. Just because you're a good, good father. And Lord, you care for us. Lord, you love us. And Lord, you delight in what you see when you look at us. So God, I just pray that you would speak that truth to someone today. I pray, God, that that would change and transform not only their heart, but that would transform they see them, the way they see themselves. I pray, God, that you would fill us afresh today. That, God, we would leave this place forever changed, reminded that our identity isn't found in anything we have in this world. Our identity is found in you. So, Father, we love you. And Father, we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said?